All right, biblical happiness. Uh, I want us to talk about that a little bit this morning. And, uh, you know, it's a word that's used frequently. And in our scriptures, we don't have a word that would exactly correlate uh, because in our society, we so engage pleasure in that definition. Uh, but the principle is there. Now, what's interesting is Time Magazine uh, in 2005, uh, January 17th edition, uh, there were two professors, uh, one uh, Dr. Sigelman and then another uh, Dr. Dinert uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school, uh, did, did a long and intensive study on what produces happiness in people. And it was interesting what they found after uh, a ton of research. Uh, they found four things in particular that would help people uh, become happier, would assist them. These were, as a matter of fact, they called them happiness boosters if they would do these four things. And I was very intrigued by this finding. matter of fact, they, they took about 68 pages in Time magazine, and on the front cover it says, The Science of Happiness. Uh, and this is what they found. Number one, number one thing they recommend uh, for people to, and this is, remember, this is very non-Christian, okay? This is not a, in any way reflective of any type of faith whatsoever. This is completely secular. Uh, number one was this, uh, count your blessings. They even use that terminology, Count your blessings. In other words, uh, recognize all the things that you have thankful for and then write them down. And then they encouraged people to once a week read those and try to add to them. So that was number one thing to do if you want to promote happiness, if you want to uh, kind of boost your happiness uh, level. Number one, count your blessings. Number two, acts of altruism or kindness. In other words, Go try to physically help someone. They suggested nursing homes, helping someone down the street who maybe has lost a loved one, someone who is sick or ill, and pitching in, cooking for them, uh, mowing their lawn, those kinds of things. That was number two thing. Number three was giving. thought that was interesting. And then number four was spending time with others. So here are four things. <clears throat> matter of fact, they talked about how much money. They, they spent millions of dollars on this. Four things, and we found four things. And these are great and revolutionary. Nobody's ever heard of them, probably. Uh, great revelation I'm going to give you. Number one, uh, you want to count your blessings. Number two, acts of kindness. Number three, giving. And number four, spend time with others. And uh, what's interesting to me is if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' very first sermon, he talked about blessed, or makaris is the Greek word there, which literally means happy. Uh, but it's, it's fuller than the way that we use it sometimes. He gives ten different ways uh, to be blessed, uh, kind of the giving aspect, kind of uh, counting your blessings aspect. And then uh, Jesus quotes, of course, six different times in the New Testament. His most prevalent saying or quote in the New Testament found in, um, uh, let's see, where I, I wrote some of them down for you because I quote this sometimes, and now I don't know where I wrote it. Um, I'm going to find it for you, though. Here we are. Matthew 16, 25, Mark 8, 35, Luke 9, 24. Matter of fact, it's found in Luke three different times. He said, He who would seek to save his life will lose it, but he who gives his life away for my sake shall find it. Isn't it interesting? Uh, Jesus is already embodying three of those four principles right there. He who seeks to save his life 
We'll lose it. Matter of fact, they talked about one of the great depressors is when you become self-absorbed and self-centered and self-oriented uh, and you start to withdraw from people and everything comes about you. They said it's almost a sure sign that leads to discouragement, i.e. eventually maybe even depression. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life, who keeps to keep it all himself, will lose it. But he who seeks to give his life, I uh, thought that was interesting. Uh, given from a very secular perspective, principles that Christ had taught over 2,000 years ago. Well, we want to look at a biblical understanding of happiness. Now, that would be happiness 101. And if you want to break it down, it'd be two points. It'd be uh, count your blessings and bless others. Okay, that's happiness 101 right there. All right, uh, some of you could just leave today and, and be good. Uh, so that's uh, kind of the elementary happiness. Now, we want to kind of go to college happiness. And Paul's going to speak to us here in Romans chapter 8. Very familiar passage, most of you have heard before. Romans 8, 28. And matter of fact, let me read it to you. Uh, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things God works for good, those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose, of those God foreknew He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called, and He called, and He also justified, and He justified, and He also glorified. That first statement, that first verse, and we know that all things God works for good for those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. Now remember, Paul is speaking who? He's speaking to the Roman church who's been going through a lot of persecution. Matter of fact, if you go back and read those first 27 verses, you'll see how Paul speaks of the persecution they've been enduring. And Paul himself, we'll read in a little bit in Second Corinthians, uh, talks of all the persecution that he has been undergoing. <clears throat> With all that in mind, uh, Paul states a verse like that. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord are called according to His purpose. Now, one of the things we have to recognize is that it doesn't say right up front that His life is fair. And if you become a Christian, everything will work out fine for you. Okay? We know life's not fair. I mean... We get up and read the paper today. We see that children are abused. We people, see that people starve to death. Uh, we see that people are taken advantage of. We see all kind of corruption within the world. And even and in our own lives, we have all lost loved ones. We've all had uh, bad things happen to us. The Bible never says this. Uh, once you believe in me, all your circumstances will get better. You'll have good circumstances and not bad circumstances. The Bible never addresses it. never says that. Uh, matter of fact, that's kind of what I'd call a saccharine view. You know what saccharine is? It's something that's sugary. It's just overly sweet, overly sugary. And the Bible never actually says that. Matter of fact, we see biblical principles all throughout, the, particularly the Old Testament, even the New Testament. We see here's Joseph. And because of Joseph's righteousness, he is thrown uh, into slavery. Uh, he makes his way out of slavery. Potiphar's wife uh, entices him to have relationship with her because he resists. Because of his righteousness, he is thrown into prison and uh, stays there in prison because of his righteousness. We see with Job, because of his righteousness, uh, things are taken from him. He loses his children. These are all bad things, by the way, unless anybody's wondering. <clears throat> the Bible never says they're not bad. They are bad things. And bad things happen to you, and we don't need to pretend like, oh, that was really a good thing. No, it, it's really a bad thing. Now, God can use them, but it's really a bad thing. You know, we look at the life of uh, Paul Obviously, we see John the Baptist who's standing up for righteousness and they behead him. That's a bad thing. Okay? So we recognize that bad things happen and the Bible never promises us 
better circumstances. It only promises us a better life. Now, does that make any sense? God doesn't promise us better circumstances when we become believers. He promises us a better life. And those are two different issues. Those are two different things, as we will see as we look at the life of Paul here in Romans chapter 8, as we look at his insights that he gives to us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, lest we ever think things were easy on him. Unless we think that it changes all your circumstances. He says, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes in Second Corinthians chapter 11. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. Been in danger from rivers, bandits, countrymen, Gentiles, false brethren. Labored and toiled. Often gone without sleep, without food, and without clothing. Okay? So, somebody forgot to send Paul the memo that everything gets better. Everything becomes easier. Okay, so Paul is saying, in light of all those things, God can work all things together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. So two principles I want us to see here this morning. Number one is this. Our bad things can turn out for good. Number one, our bad things can turn out for good. They're legitimately bad, but God can use them to turn out things for good. Number two, our good things cannot be lost And the best things are yet to come. We know that as Paul is speaking here to the Roman church, they are enduring persecution. They've been suffering. Matter of fact, he says specifically in uh, verse 35, he says, he tells them right up front, he says, um, Who will separate you from the love of Christ? Shall the trouble? Shall your hardship? Shall your persecution? Shall the famine? Shall the nakedness? Shall the danger? Shall the sword? All those things can still come, but they won't separate you from the love of Christ. But those are difficult circumstances. Those are, quote, bad circumstances. But he also goes on and says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, let's look at verse 28 for a moment and look at that, if you would. And it says, and, and just so you know, there are, I know there are multiple translations out there, but I want to deal with a few of the key words. First word we see is and. In other words, it is connecting the passage, Romans chapter 8, with those who are suffering, those sufferings, and we, who are we, the believers, Paul, the church of Rome, know, this is factual, this is something that we can know for a fact, God causes God causes all things to work together for good. So what has happened? I don't believe that God is the instrumentation of evil, but I believe God can use evil. God can take evil and use it, even even things that look detrimental for His glory. We each could probably stand and give a testimony of something bad that happened to us, and we would not want to repeat that process But we have certainly grown. We have learned. There are some good things that have come from it. All things. When he says that word, all things, what is he talking about? Well, he's just been referencing. He's just been talking about suffering. We know that even our sufferings can be used and work together. Our sufferings can work together. You know, a good understanding of that for me, and I like to just make it simple for myself, is like cake. Okay, you ever thought about cake? Like the ingredients of cake. Like, I don't think I like any of them by themselves. Like flour. Have you ever just tried to eat flour? I mean, it's just nasty. I I hate it. Baking soda. Even sugar. I I can't stand to just put plain sugar 
on my tongue. I don't do any of those artificial sweeteners or anything. I need it all mixed up, okay? So eggs, I don't like raw eggs. I don't like any of those things. But when you put them all together, they form something beautiful called cake and cookies, which I love, <laughs> okay? So, but left to themselves, they aren't just good necessarily themselves. They certainly don't just taste pleasant alone. It's when they are mixed. It's when they are placed together for good. So all things can work together for good for those who love God. For good, for the conforming image of Christ. For us to be conformed to His image. Those who love Christ, those are the called. Those who love Him according to His purpose, His glory. Now, our bad things turn out for good. Let me give you three principles there under that one right there. Three lessons and three truths of beliefs that we can perceive. Number one is this. Our bad things turn out for good, but that also tells us that all things can happen to Christians. All things can happen to Christians, just like we read about a while ago in verse 35. Just as you go back and read the first uh, 15 or 20 verses of Romans chapter 8. Um, bad things happen. The Bible tells us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So all things can happen to Christians. And so when we come to the place where we recognize that God has not necessarily put us in a place where evil or even difficult circumstances can ever touch us, but to recognize that God chooses to work in and through everything. He can take the worst situations of our life and make something beautiful from them. Even if He does not desire for them to happen to us, even though sometimes bad things happen to good people. So all things can happen to Christians. So it's a, it's, it's a principle that we must understand. Number two, when things do not work together, or excuse me, when things do work together in our life and things are promoted and bad things do promote blessings, that's a miracle of grace. Okay? That's a miracle when that happens. So when our children turn out well, that's a miracle of grace. And when our spouse starts to act right, that's a miracle, okay? That's not just some normal expectation we ought to think we all get, okay? That's the miracle of grace. So uh, when we do have a job, when we do have things that God provides for us, that's the miracle of grace. Next, although bad things happen, God can work them for good. Although bad things happen, God can work them for good. So again, God's not, and Paul's not asking us to say, oh, your loved one died, that's a good thing. He's not asking us to say that. No, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing in principle right there. That's, that's tough. That's difficult. That's bad. You think about Jesus before the tomb of Lazarus. And yeah, Jesus knows that he's going to be returning, but at the moment it is a bad thing, and Jesus weeps. Jesus cries. And we could say, oh, but, you know, and sometimes we'll do this when, when people pass away and we'll go, well, one day you're going to see them in heaven, which is a truth. And that's word encouragement. But let me tell you right now, it's bad. Okay, they're gone, they're dead, and it's bad. And we just need to embrace that, that this is bad right now. I hurt. Uh, something has happened to my child, something's happened to my life, I've lost my job. Okay, for the moment, this is bad. Let's just recognize this, okay? And again, the saccharine view of, oh, this is really good. I wonder what's going to happen now. Well, it may, but it, you may not get to see it. All I, all I have the promise of is that God can use this for the best, that God can use this for good, just as we see the ingredients of a cake are placed together, but in and of themselves, it's not necessarily good. 
So it's important for us to realize this, that in the micro, in the short term, there are a lot of things that we do that, see, that may be, seem okay, that have a negative effect, or may seem very difficult or hurting at the time, that have a positive effect. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, in the micro, you know, lying sometimes is much easier than telling the truth, just for the moment, you know. Even if it's something like your wife says, do I look... Do I look kind of big in this? I mean, and, you know, sometimes we think it's just better right there to just lie, okay? But, but then we get caught on it, okay? Sometimes it's easier to just lie. We know that as children, as teens, and as adults. And it just feels better for the moment. And it's better to just go through some self-deception. It just feels better right now. I did that during the holidays. You know, I'd lost a little weight, and it was, it was Thanksgiving. I told myself, I'm just going to eat one plate of food this Thanksgiving, I'm going to choose the things that I want, and I'm going to eat modestly. And so I told myself that. So one plate. Well, I can have one plate, but I can't put that. St- I mean, I stacked that thing on there, about four plates on there. But in my little pea-sized brain, hey, it's one plate. I'm a, I'm a meeting my objective and my goal here. I'm eating one plate, and I'm only going to eat two desserts. Then I just decided I would just take halves of everything, which was quite a lot. And uh, I remember after. Almost being finished with my food, I was just thinking, oh, man, I better quit. Well, I said I was just going to eat one plate. I'll be okay. It's just this time I'm going to eat a plate. And then I started doing the desserts. And, you know, I just kept thinking, it'll be all right. This is not, I've eaten much more previous Thanksgivings. I mean, this, this is going to be okay. And I got sick. I'm not talking like kind of sick. I got sick. And for like two days, I was sick. And in the micro, it seemed so good. I mean, it felt so good. It tastes so good. In the macro, I hated it. As a matter of fact, when I got back to scales two or three days later, I'd gained all my weight back. And I thought, I'm a loser. And then I thought, I'm not a loser. I'm a gainer. And in the micro, it just seemed so good. But in the macro, it wasn't good at all. And often in the macro, in the long term, when we make those decisions, we have to endure some pain when we're honest about a situation or when we take full responsibility on something, when we have to exercise integrity when we're all alone and we know others are going to be angered by it. But you know, that's where the character is built. It's not like all of a sudden we'll get to the big things and we'll exercise character if we haven't been doing them in the small things. And so, even in those difficulties, as Paul was being persecuted, as he was being criticized, as he was being beaten... He was looking at it in the micro. And he said, you know, this is bad right here, but in the macro, this is good because it is building substance for my case, for my faith, and for the cause of Christ. He was able to see the macro. And that's why we read about him today. That's why we read about any great man. Because of what they did in the micro and the macro. Because they made hard decisions. Because they stood for what they believed in. Our good things can never be lost, and the best is yet to come. As we look at this next passage, there are a lot of terminology here, and a big theology term called soteriology, which is a study of salvation. And one of those uh, is called Calvinism. Uh, And uh, whether you believe that position or not does not matter, but these terms exist, and we have to deal with them. And uh, here's the truth of it is, I believe this was not meant for a theology purpose, but for an encouragement purpose. So as we see the words like foreknew, whom he foreknew, who he knew, who we looked down the court of times and saw, he predestined. He determined that he was going to enact goodness 
from their life who were conformed. That word conformed is metamorphe, which we get our word metamorphosis for. Conformed to be metamorphosed. The firstborn adopted into Christ to be like Him. The firstborn adopted. You know, in the uh, times of Christ, uh, a lot of times, not a lot of times, but oftentimes when people who had any means of wealth or any property, if they were about to die or if they were getting older, and they had none who could inherit it, their spouse had passed away and they didn't have any children, then they would choose someone and they would have since adopt them. It was a legal binding agreement that they would go through. Uh, and so at death, all everything that they owned would go to this individual. And often it was someone who had worked for them. Sometimes it was a servant. Sometimes it was a friend. But in a sense, they became the heir. They became the firstborn, that which would receive the inheritance. Paul says that's the position that we've come into with Christ. The firstborn position. That we've been called, we've been stirred, we've been moved, we've been justified. We've been cleared of all unrighteousness. And we are becoming glorified. We are becoming righteous. Paul is not, again, promising us better circumstances. He's promising us a better life, better character, substance. Now, there are some four biblical truths I want us to see from that. Number one, God is at work in all things, Romans chapter 8. God is at work in all things, whether good or bad. He can work and move and bring together for His benefit of His kingdom. Number two, God gives strength in every situation. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 tells us, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Number three, our good is accruing interest now and for eternity. You know, somebody asked Einstein one time, what is the most uh, amazing principle of all, and he says, uh, compounding interest. Uh, that we could have money and that it compounds interest. You know, it's great for us as believers that as we serve, as we give, as we share, as we love, that we are laying up crowns in heaven, but is also compounding right now. That it is working for the betterment of our life and the kingdom of God. We are accruing interest as we serve, as we give, as we share, as we encourage. You know, I think about people in our church right now. Very difficult circumstances have happened in their lives, and they are here because of those difficult circumstances. I think about people who teach in our church. Some of our teachers have gone through very difficult situations uh, in previous experiences, and they're here because of that pain, because of that difficult circumstance, or they would have never come here. I think about this podium in our communion table back there. You know the reason it's here? Because the guy who built it got stage 4 cancer, and he began to lose his sight, and he lost his job. And then during that time, he began to reassess, and now he has time to build and make things like this. We are the we are reciprocating, or excuse me, we are receiving because of others' pain. This church is here. Some people made some big sacrifices because they were in a situation that they were moved out of that was painful and that was bad. And they're here now making things possible today, making this building, making these classes, making leadership, making these opportunities available because of Bad things that happen in their life. God works all things together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. 
Isn't it amazing how God can take something that really is bad and use it and make it to be something that promotes His glory? You're not here because you got a postcard. And maybe you think you are. You're here because I believe God's moving more intricately in your life than that. I believe that God is using whatever circumstance and that He chooses and wants you to embrace it. And you can resist it. You can say, God, move and work in my life. And God starts sending the rain. God, where are you? Would you quit that? And God's saying, behold, I make all things new. Matter of fact, that's point number four. One day there will be no pain. According to Revelations chapter 21, this is what the Scripture tells us. Revelations 21.4 And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He was seated on the throne and He said, Behold, I am making all things new. So here's the truth. God doesn't give us better circumstances. He gives us the opportunity for a better life. He gives us the opportunity to make things new. To make things of value which is what brings us the substance of who we are. It's what makes life worth living. We can go back to the secular principles. Number one, count my blessings. Number two, acts of kindness. Number three, giving. And number four, spending time with others. Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life, he who seeks to just become self-centered, and get it all for himself, and keep it, and hoard it. He loses life. It's so interesting, as I read that article, they talked talked about what leads to discouragement. And it's the very thing that Jesus had already told us. He wasn't telling us that as believers so that we'd have some hard motto to follow. He's saying, I've created you. I know what makes you happiest. Here's what you can do to have a fulfilling life. Here's what you can do to have biblical joy. Quit seeking to preserve And to keep everything. And begin to give your life away. Begin to share it. Bring encouragement. To bring kindness. To serve. To sacrifice. To give. To live. And to love. And that's when you'll experience life. You see how that's different than circumstances? That's what's called a better life. And that's what God offers you today. Have you received it? I want to invite you to do so.